Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice. Giving you a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. Personal training and gyms have seen their fair share of changes over the past few years. After the recent pandemic, what does the landscape look like now for the industry? Today, we welcome our guest, Chris Poyer, the GM of Perform Better, to help answer this question. On this episode, we cover personal training and gym numbers since the COVID outbreak, the relationship of culture to the success of your business, and qualities found in trainers and gym owners who have weathered the storm. So let's get going with today's episode of the Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. All right, Chris, great to have you uh, in the office today. Made the made the trek down to Chatham, Virginia. So really great to have Chris Poyer, uh, one of our oldest and closest uh, friends. Um, and of course, we have the business relationship, but we definitely have forged a great friendship over the last 20-some years we've been working together. So great to have you in here. Definitely uh, going to be diving into a topic that I think for a lot of our listeners, a lot of the professionals out there, we're all dealing with coming out of this pandemic in this industry. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me down here. It's uh, Chatham's not the easiest place in the world to get to, but it's once you're here, it's always great to be here. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, we've yeah, got an like, interesting day planned for you yeah. here in the boonies. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> if you hear the banjo, don't just disregard the banjo. <laughs> just, when we're floating down the river. faster than the other people, you'll be fine. <laughs> now, I tell you, Chris, I think you you bring such a great perspective. Um, you know, running perform better and perform better. If a lot of some of you all don't know, uh, is an equipment based business. And Chris, I'll let you kind of get into it. But kind of from my perspective, what you guys do so well in the industry is provide the education piece. Um, your business is selling equipment, right? But you provide education, which is really what separates you from a lot of the other companies. Ed- education is actually our, our 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 the way we make money is the way I tell everyone is we by selling equipment how we sell equipment and how we establish our, our relationship with our customers through education. Every, and the, the one thing that we've learned over the years that everything that we sell needs education. Kettlebells getting education out there was a way for us to, to really to, to help ourselves grow in the industry, not just from sales and kettlebells, but obviously to grow in our relationship and obviously and to make us a, a bigger player on the scene. I was with Reebok University on their lecture ticket, going around to their conferences, doing a few things with their athletes. And as my contract was coming to an end and Reebok University was going in a different direction and I wanted to go in a different direction, I actually had three contract days with Reebok and you picked them up. And I guess that was sort of my dress rehearsal on your circuit, but I always considered that a professional upgrade because I was looking at uh, Carlos and Vern, Mike Boyle and guys like that on your ticket and there was this huge legacy of your catalog wasn't just a catalog. It, it wasn't. It was a who's who of the industry. And having your little uh, headshot in the Perform Better catalog to me was a much bigger, bigger upgrade in my career, I think, than what I was doing with Reebok at the time. Even though Reebok had a big stage, I felt like I was in a much tighter group of peers that, that you'd already put in that same bullpen. That was a, that was a cool transition act. Yeah, no, it was. And, uh, it was funny. The, the, the first time I heard you speak or the first time I heard you talk about FMS was out in Vegas was at a, um, NASM. Yeah. It was their first national conference that they did in Vegas. And, uh, 
you know, like every show or every show that I attend, I always go in and listen to presenters because I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for the next presenter. I'm always looking for what someone has to say and what, you know, what, what they're talking about. Well, at the time I didn't know what you were talking about with FMS. I heard the topic and I'm like, Oh, this sounds pretty interesting. Let me go listen to what he's going to talk about with functional movement screen. And, you know, I left Vegas like, wow, I gotta, I gotta find a way to get gray. I went right up to you. Like, I don't know, 80 other people in the room to introduce themselves to you, but I was a nobody then, um, heard you, you know, and I was like, oh, I got to find out a way. Thankfully we had a relationship with Reebok that you also had a contract with Reebok doing education and, um, sort of snugged a wave to get you to get into one of ours. Well, maybe we can get him into one of yeah. ours for Reebok and say it's a Reebok sponsored <clears throat> event. And, it sort of started the ball rolling, but uh, no, it's been it's, it. It was always good energy at Perform Better events. Everybody wanted to be there, um, and and I thought it was pretty cool that you had a group of people on stage just educating. It wasn't just there to showcase the product. The products always supported what we were talking about because they were available and it's what we used every day anyway. Yeah, but but it was always about. Give me a good message. Give me some good creativity. Give me some good energy. The equipment moved. Yeah. And that, that was just, a, that was just a, a, a casual and cool relationship because I honestly think the, the high integrity soft sell is way more sustainable yeah, than, than the flash in the pan next trend that everybody can discount. Well, and Chris, there's no question. You gave us the opportunity and the platform to get our message out over those you know, the last 20 years helping us and most of you, most people may not know that, you know, Gray and I, you know, probably for 10, almost 15 years were because of your support traveling around and teaching seminars and you in perform better was the, was the, you know, the only sponsor for us to get out there and, and giving us that platform. And over those years, we've been able to grow and go into different markets and you've certainly helped us uh, do that. And I think that's why I, uh, the topic I want to get into today, because of your background and what you do, I mean, Chris, you're talking to business owners primarily throughout. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're trying to, you know, engage with the business owners, the, the people who own these fitness facilities, strength and conditioning facilities, performance facilities, and kind of give me, before we get into really the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, I mean, I think what, what you, what I see you doing a lot of is what are the trends that are happening? What's going on? What is, like you mentioned kettlebells, okay, kettlebells was big, but kind of what are the main things you saw um, before the pandemic that was happening? What are some of the trends? Where was the fitness, the strength conditioning industry kind of heading? And then we get to this kind of cliff, which was the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, well, before the pandemic, we were on a big rise of group training. I think that was becoming more and more popular. I think that started about eight to 10 years ago, whether it was plumber. When I mean group training, I'm not talking aerobic training. I'm not talking class of 20. I'm talking three yeah, to step four. Step aerobics and the old aerobics Correct. back in no, the 80s. I'm talking, yeah. I'm talking a group of three to four people seeing a lot of that. Whereas in the early 2000s, we were more one-on-one -on -one training and it sort of hit a stalemate because, you know, there was a lot of obviously good, there's a lot of good benefits of one-on-one -on -one training. Um, but the one thing that it's not good for everyone is it, it costs a little bit more money and not everyone can afford to do three sessions a week. So the, the idea of the small group where, you, you know, you pay a third or 40% or of what you would pay for a one-on-one -on -one session still have the luxury of having, 
you know, a coach put together a program for you and working with three other people in that group, I think it allowed for the, the, the client to pay for it, that we could afford it. Um, and it allowed for the trainer to make more money because now they had more people in the group and it just became fun. So we were starting, we, we saw a lot of that and the growth of that. And that was sort of starting to develop itself. Um, and I think we were just getting ready for the next spinoff of that. I mean, we've, you know, we've changed it a lot of different ways in that group, whether it was two people, three, six people. Um, but I think it was ready for a spinoff. It was starting to spin. But um, the one thing the pandemic did is it stopped that, you know, obviously and went back to everything went back to one-on-one. So that was one of the things that, you know, I think we were ready for that transition. One-on-one is never left. It's never going to leave. But again, to open up personal training to, to a lot more people, I think we got to get more back into the, the group, the small group stuff where it can be more affordable. What were the things you were hearing once the pandemic hit? I mean, if you look at the statistics that, you know, we pulled some stats here, 22% of the health and fitness club closed for good during the pandemic, which is 9,100 club. Yeah. So, you know, during the pandemic, what were you seeing? One, the business you had, what was some of the things you were seeing there? And then what were some of the things, what were the club owners doing during the pandemic to just survive? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, it wasn't even, you know, it was, it was a hundred percent of the clubs were closed at first because everything was, was shut down. But, you know, as, you know, as a lot of the trainers needed to continue their business, because the one, the, the downside with a personal trainer is if they're not training, they're not making money. You know, if you don't have a client, you're not making money. So the first thing was, you know, during the, when the pandemic started was to, how do you, you know, how do trainers still make money? How are they still going to stay in business? Um, and and the, the, the easiest thing that, that came about was the online training. You know, it already, there was branches of it already starting out. There were some people that were very successful and it wasn't really popular, you know, but there were, there were, there were outliers that were doing really well with it. But I think once it started, I think everyone had to pivot and everyone had to, sh- had to find a way to how do we keep our, how do we keep our clientele engaged and how do we get them doing something? So the online started, um, which was a really nice way to transition to, you know, now we have two types of training. Now that we've come back, we still have some that have not transitioned out of the online. So we still have a little bit of both. So what we're seeing today is we're still seeing a combination of a little bit of both, a little bit of online, a little bit of live or more live coming back. Um, but yeah, that was, it's, 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 it's been difficult because that, I, I think those numbers are pretty, pretty accurate because I've heard anywhere from 20 to 30%, depending on who you ask. And, you know, I haven't heard anything less than 20%. So one of the questions I've had, I'm going to ask you this, you may or may not know, but so if you take the, a business owner who Technically, the business owner who owns the facility, it's their clientele. Yeah. The trainer's working for the owner, but it's the trainer who works for the owner. It's their client, yeah. in essence. That's who's seeing them. So as a business owner, just looking at even things FMS had to do, we had to cut our expenses. So as a business owner, if you're closing the doors, you can't pay for the trainer. You can't keep paying for the trainer. Yeah. Because you know, initially, I thought we all felt like the pandemic was going to be over in a couple of months. Not two years, yeah. <laughs> right? right? So, okay, maybe I'll keep them on for a couple months, but then it got to a point where I just can't sustain it. But then the business owner has the option, get rid of the trainer, let me keep the client. But whose responsibility, I guess, is my question. And, and I'm not saying you know the answer or Gray knows the answer, maybe just discuss it. But whose responsibility is it at that point to try to keep that, keep that client? 
It's the business owner's responsibility. So are they the one stepping in and doing the online work or is the trainer trying to figure out a way to step in and do the online work? And I think that was probably a difficult decision a lot of these owners had to make. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, obviously a business owner is obviously, you know, has a brick and mortar place. He's concerned about keeping his business going. Mm-hmm. You know, he, at, at first, probably the owner wasn't really too concerned with the online stuff, especially if they're, you know, you know, if you had a group of five or six trainers, but he's running his daily business, you know, so he really is not looking at the online training at first. And again, when it first went down, he's looking at, okay, how do we get my business back open so I can get people back in here so we can, we can get people in here. Um, and that was the problem for the owner. I think at some, some part in that first four weeks, that business owner had to realize that this is going to be longer than what we anticipated, especially depending on where they were and how late they were to open things back up. So I think somewhere in that first four weeks, he had to realize that there's no one coming back in our state. We're not allowing anyone to come back into the, to the business. You know, unfortunately with, you know, fitness and exercise, they were the last places to open, which still should be a question we Makes should be no asking sense. each other, which I don't know why of the all things. The whole reason we had such a big pandemic is not enough people not enough. consuming fitness and exercise. Yeah. And that was the, no, it's, it's, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I got want to want to add one thing in. I like the fact that you guys are taking it <clears throat> right to the business owner and whether you're in the health end of it, the fitness end of it, or the sports performance end of it. I honestly think that the business owners that created a culture, we know fitness and exercise, whether it's group, one-on-one, personal, wellness, whatever it is, it's a transact. But, but there's something about tight cultures, tight communities, whether you know, you, you've got a, a martial arts dojo or you've got a kettlebell class or a boot camp in the park, they create a culture. And even though stuff can happen, that culture stays connected. And the minute the doors are open, that culture reassembles at about 65 to 75%. But that's somebody who spent a little extra time in that intangible of cultivating that culture. Weeding out maybe a bad trainer or a bad employee to honor the good work that the rest are doing. And sometimes not doing everything for just that, that, new client or new member, but making sure that those people who'd been tried and true are getting taken care of. So I just think that there, there are some businesses that look equally successful and something like this happens and one rises like the Phoenix four months later and mm-hmm. figures it out and one just dries up and well, becomes a used car. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the, the point is you had 30, 25 to 30% of the clubs close. Well, those are probably the clubs that weren't <laughs> Yeah, didn't didn't create that culture. I completely agree. I th- I think the culture was the the main thing that determined how you're going to be open. And afterwards. it doesn't matter what piece of equipment you no, use. You no, can have a bunch of balance correct. beams and med balls, or you can have kettlebells, or you can have a sand pit and sandbags. It doesn't really matter. But but I I sometimes I just want I don't I'm thinking of ten or fifteen people in particular. I don't have a chance to do a shout out. But those cultures know who they are and they yeah. know what they've done and yeah. and. You've done that with the the type of lecturers I think you put on stage and the ones that you you give an opportunity to and the ones you keep giving opportunities to because there's a culture. There's there. Yeah. You know, I, I think that you brought up that NASM conference. I think I was the first speaker of the day talking on the functional platform. Mike Boyle was a second and Mark Verstegen was a third. 
And it was almost like we were three band members each getting to do a solo, but mm-hmm. we tried to weave it together because I came on the front end and talked about screening and movement. Mike came in and talked about fundamental strength and conditioning. And then Mark came in and talked about, you know, power and rotation and adding that extra bit of pop. And it was almost like we had been playing together and working together mm-hmm. for a while. And it's not. We just came from the same culture. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's so so you take that business owner who had to unfortunately probably lay off fire ever how you want to do it a lot of those personal trainers during this time during the pandemic obviously we already talked about the statistics of the ones that had to just close the doors and never coming back mm-hmm. but now coming out you know chris what 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 are you hearing what's kind of the word right now as far as you know talking to the business owners talking to the guys who run these facilities now that things are opening up, what, what's kind of going on right now that you're hearing? So, I mean, some of the things that we're seeing right now and in, in when we're talking to facilities is, um, you know, with, with a close of a lot of facilities, there's a lot of equipment still out there. There's a lot of equipment that's being been bought up. You know, new businesses slowly starting to come in, new trainers buying up the equipment, starting something new. But one of the things that we've been hearing um, a lot of is because a lot of facilities lost trainers along the way, whether they went on to different professions or um, they just couldn't keep them on. You know, they couldn't keep them on because they couldn't afford it. Um, They couldn't afford to keep them on. That they're now getting back to where they're starting to add back in. You know, a lot of of our customers are these smaller, you know, I I, I don't know exactly. I don't think there's a great name for, there's not a great name. We got to come up with a good name for the small semi-private gym. You know, they call them, you know, the, the, the one, the 2000 square foot facilities that are, you know, usually one to four trainers, you know, a lot of the things are either small group or one-on-one training in there. A lot of these. Well, they already use boutiques. We could call it a container. I, yeah, box, box, gyms. Yeah, the bo- yeah, container or a small box. No, but I think, I think you're small right. parcel. And I'll, I'll just give you one, one thing that I said, uh, we've got a very small PT clinic right next door. Yeah. And I've always said. I'd rather have 10 of these than a single facility 10 times this size because I think the level of accountability in a small staff remains higher than when you have a big staff and there's always somewhere for somebody to hide. And so I I would, you know, for the same square footage, I would rather have uh, 10 little pods, each sort of getting a vibe of the community they're in than making everybody feel like they've got to come to the strip mall of fitness and they got to fit in. Yeah. So yeah. no, I, I like that. And I've always felt that way about clinics too. I'd rather have some small ones. Yeah. You know? So we, and, and we've seen a lot of like the owners of those facilities, you know, during the pandemic, they were, you know, a lot of those guys were maybe training, you know, one session a day, two sessions a day and just running the business pre COVID. When COVID hit, they were back on the floor. They were back training eight hours, nine hours a day. So not, you know, they were, they were obviously trying to save money where they can. I think that was one of the key things of surviving COVID mm-hmm. was you had to, obviously you had to save money. You had to find a way to cut expenses that you could stay afloat and keep the, you know, and keep the doors open until we got out of it. That was the, that was the big thing. Um, and so they did it. The good gyms did it. The ones that had great cultures. When you talked about culture, culture was so big. I mean, you could determine a place with their culture. If they're still open today to where they were beforehand, it, it, Hundred percent, it was culture because you know we've I, I, I've heard stories from trainers telling me that customers were just paying them 
They were paying them for not training them during the pandemic. They were just giving them money because they had such a culture that their clientele didn't want to see their doors closed. Wow. So they were wow. trying to, they were helping them stay in business by giving them money for sessions that they weren't even doing. You know, Simon Sinek said that when he was talking about um, really the, the best way to build a culture and, and treat a customer. And there is, there's a thing where if your customer will actually suffer an inconvenience to continue to have a relationship with you, that's loyalty. Otherwise, they're just chasing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If, uh, if they won't tolerate even the slightest inconvenience, uh, it's not about you. It's, it's just about, are you the cheapest option they yeah. have right now? And so that's what usually happens with a lot of the places that open and close. They honestly think undercutting price is the way to stay there. Yeah. And it's, an, it's a race to free, yeah. it, it, you know? So, you know, there's, there, is a, there is a price of doing this right. And the people who get on the other side of that experience and appreciate that, they've, they've seen results. Right. Yeah. They, they, they've actually, they know what they're there for. And a lot of people in your first month of a fitness experience, you think, you know why you're there. But if all those goals don't happen in that first month, you have to have seen something to do the second month, the third month, the fourth, you know. Well, I mean, I think, I think uh, what's happened to Peloton falls right into that. Is that. Let's, Pel- paint, let's paint that picture. Peloton killed it. During the pandemic. Yep. And then you got a lot of the at-home, you know, I'll use the word interactive gyms. Yeah. But at some point, now that things are opening up, people aren't getting that same culture, getting that same connection. The community that they're searching for, as much as Peloton's trying to, they can't replicate that. Yeah. You're not going to replicate that in a small group, semi-private situation. And I think that's what we're seeing with Peloton. Tom Plummer used to always say that that one style of training, that one implement that you're always on is only so long you're going to be able to do that for before you realize you're like there's there's a lot of other muscles you're not activating when you're doing something and you may feel good after you do it but it's not going to be something that's going to withstand you know longevity i i think there's a couple reasons in the peloton one is the price range there's only so many you can sell at a certain price range you know that that's going to be at that um before like, you all the customers bought them up over two years. Correct. Before you, yeah, before you run out of clientele that can afford to do that. Everyone who had fitness equipment during the first six months of the pandemic sold fitness equipment. I mean, it was to the point where whoever had the most sold the most. Right. Um, because, you know, after two months, it was, you know, even us, which we, had a, we have a great supply of and we had a great supply of, um, it was tough getting implements. It was tough selling. And, and we were very fortunate in the trainers. One of the things because of the clientele we had, and again, it goes back to our education base. We have a lot of great relationships that all comes back to the education that we put on. You know, we met great customers that we become friends with over the years. And, you know, we were talking to those guys when the pandemic first broke out. And a lot of them were like trying to figure out how we're going to get through this, what we're going to do. And, um, you know, that gave us the idea of, you know, we, we have to do something. So we started to, you know, we started to get in touch with all of our clientele and, you know, talk about what they were doing. Were they doing any home training with their, you know, they doing online stuff. Um, we had Plumber do a couple, you know, seminars for us. We were just trying to give trainers ideas of how you can make money when your gym's not open. 
mm-hmm. you know, just to do that. So, and thankfully for us, our clientele was sending us their clientele. So they were, you know, our, they, we were getting clientele come in for us. Our, our, our customers were our customers' customers, which has never been our, our business in the past. And for that first six months of the pandemic, that was our business, was our customers' customers. No, I want, I want the PTs and chiropractors who listen to us to understand that because instead of us having to stock a bunch of bands or half foam rolls, it was easier for us uh, to just tell our, our patients, all perform better yeah. and here, tell them, tell them you need this. You know, the culture, we're talking about culture in the gym, but you've created a culture within the community that, that you serve. Um, through education, you know, through the, with the professionals. I mean, your, your community, um, if nobody's ever gone to a Perform Better Summit, I definitely recommend it. One, you've got, seems to me you have the best speakers, the best lecturers that are out there. When, you know, I've gone to a lot of other and spoken a lot of other places, and there's no question the summits that you put on are, are have the best speakers. But that, that community and that culture, that relationship that you've built over the years is what allowed you guys to be pretty successful during this time. Yeah, we, you know, we've been very fortunate to have a great team of presenters. And, you know, one of the things that we look at, one, obviously great information, obviously there's a lot of presenters with great information, but I think what's equally important to us in that is what kind of people they are, what kind of person they are. And for us, you know, a lot of our presenters- No asshole rule. Yeah, there, there's definitely- <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know what the- I didn't, I didn't know what the- uh, A lot of my getting, coaches if, run a team like this. Oh, like getting, one asshole on this yeah. team is one too many and we got to take care of that. Are we getting so. bleeped out of this? But then again, Joe Rogan, they swear on their podcast all the time. So we can do that. No, it's right. And, and it's, it's, we definitely say, you know, there's a no asshole rule. And that is really big. And that sometimes, you know, it's- it's, it's, it's difficult to go through because there's a lot of people that have some really good information that borderline that, that, that asshole rule. And it's, and it's, it's very difficult to do it, but we have to, like, we, we just see what, what a, a, a good culture starts with no assholes in that culture. And if, if there are any, they weed themselves out. And that's always the case with ours. You always could figure out who that person was because they weed, you know, they weeded themselves out. They rose to the top as far as not the top that they want to be on, but the top of you could see exactly who they were. So, well, well it's the same thing that's happening during the pandemic. I mean, the the ones that don't have the right culture, yeah. that aren't doing the things the right way, are closing their doors and aren't opening back up. And you could almost say the same thing with the personal trainer, the one that really was just in it to you know, see how many likes they could get on Instagram or the ones that would just as soon work out themselves as work you out, they probably didn't sustain themselves or they're probably not going to be that successful long-term. So in essence, coming out of the pandemic, Chris, the state of this industry might be in a better position. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it would be. I mean, you know, we, we haven't seen a lot of customers. It have been very few that we have seen that have had to close the doors. Um, and I don't want to say, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to, to toot our own home with our education because it has nothing to do with us doing it. It has to do with the educators that we have on stage. But I think we had a lot of good business mind people, you know, the, the Tom Plummers, the Vince Gabriel, the Alan Cosgroves, Rachel Cosgroves. We had a lot of those people giving presentations during the pandemic, you know, um, of how to stay, you know, how to survive, no, how you, to stay in business. I'll give you an example of that. When I was going to the national conferences years ago, and they were still on the personal training one-to-one kick, 
the majority of your business-minded, smart book writing presenters were saying, hey, open up your mind. It's not just big group Mm. or one-on-one, it's small group. So long before the national conferences were telling people small group is coming, whether you're on the front or back end of that, you actually had a majority of your people advising how to lay out your day and how to allocate your space and time, saying that 10 years before it got popular anywhere else. So, I mean- that was on the front end of that too. Yeah. You you recognize the trend, and then you realize the unique unique space. So your your presenters were already saying that in in that that form way before it yeah. happened. As a healthcare professional, most of your patients likely walk through your door already experiencing pain. The SFMA is your initial assessment and provides a differential diagnosis that leads to more efficient treatment. And now it is easier than ever to get certified by signing up for one of our SFMA live virtual courses. We offer SFMA level one and two virtual courses online, guided by a live instructor who will take you through the entire process. You'll be able to ask our team questions in real time and watch instructors work through live models throughout the day to be sure you leave with a clear understanding and the ability to start implementing the SFMA into your own practice. And for a limited time, We'd like to offer our podcast listeners a special rate for this SFMA virtual training experience. Follow the link in the show notes and use promo code VERT22 at checkout for $50 off your virtual SFMA Level 1 or Level 2 certification courses. That's V-I-R-T-2-2. And if you bundle them at checkout, you'll save an additional $220 automatically. We look forward to you joining us. Now back to the show. So coming out of this, Chris... The one thing that is obvious, should be obvious to everybody, is the need for exercise, the need to live a, better, a healthier life. The people that, the people that in the population group that suffered from COVID were the people who already had other issues and other issues being overweight, diabetes, just didn't work out, didn't exercise. Mm. So I think the message that, that we as professionals and, and certainly the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis we have to somehow figure out how to get that message across because the one thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to go here with this one. The one thing that's not occurring is the government, the politicians aren't talking about it. Even the healthcare providers to a degree aren't talking about this enough. Yeah. You, you must've hit my button on that because <laughs> I know, this, I know. This, this is, this so, is, so, some, this is something that I've been saying. So we have some things manufactured over in China. And I, I have one of my one of my manufacturers I've been very close with. It's been one that we've been doing business with for 15 years. And every year I go over to see him, spend time with him and his family. Really, really good people. Um, when the pandemic started, one of the things he told me was, and he said he had he had friends that were telling him from that in Wuhan that were telling him about what's going on. And, and we're talking like early March. We're talking, oh, yeah. it just hit. And he called, you know, and we're, we're, we're talking on a, on a Zoom call. And one of the things he's telling me, he's like, he says, be careful. He says, you know, what I'm hearing from over here is we're seeing a lot of people that have, you know, either heart, diabetes, or people who are heavy. You know, he was saying that. This is in March of 2020, you know, mid-March of 2020. He's telling me like, this is who it, this is who it's affecting. <laughs> And so it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be great for exercise. Like if this is it, cause we know, we know exercise helps reduce the rates of diabetes and heart disease. And we know it obviously reduces weight loss. So we're thinking, oh, this is going to be great for trainers in the fitness industry. This is going to be our boom. 
And then all of a sudden we, you know, we're starting to get, right. Gyms are not opening. Everything else is opening, but gyms is in tier five, a tier five of, of tier of five tiers, like mm. with nobody else in that tier. And I'm trying to my, think of myself. I'm like, why is it? Why is, why have fitness like the last to open? Like we've always known that gyms have been one of the cleanest places because it's, I mean, there's always been gym wipes always in gyms long before COVID even started to wipe down all the equipment, to disinfect everything. You know, people in, in the gyms around going around wiping down all the time. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. I mean, you don't go into any other store. You don't go into a liquor store or Home Depot and see someone wiping down the shelves, you know, but you do in gyms. Like, this is going to be great. Gyms are going to open. And then they were so late to open. And then it took another year after before they finally came out with you know, it was heart disease and, you know, diabetes, people who had underlying conditions. And they talked about with weight being, I don't know, it was 78 or 82%. It's like, why isn't this like public knowledge? Why isn't this telling everyone? Because, you know, and I, and I, it's funny. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going back 10 years when Stu McGill came over to our Providence summer and he came from ACSM. And one of the first things he said is, I'm glad to be here at this conference with personal, with trainers, I says, who are, who are in the trenches working with people. He says, he says, I just came from my peer conference and he says, we're still trying, you know, we're still trying to prove that exercise is good for you. Yeah. Like we knew this 60 years ago. I'm thinking like, all right, we knew all the research shows that exercise is good for you. Exercise reduces the risk of all of these things. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm still, now we are two years later and not a single word has been said about fitness. We don't even know who the director of ex- on the exercise council is. Like the, who, who is it? Like, why haven't they come and said like there, exercise there's been is no going to get us, is going to, is going to help everybody. It, it's okay. unbelievable. The fact that we're sitting here now with all the data, all the research, everything pointing to how important it is to exercise, move, whatever, you know, whatever we want to call it, but be active yeah. and eat and eat right. There's been, there's still no initiative saying, this is what you need to do. No push. And well, it's unbelievable. I, I honestly think that any conversation about activity level rubs so closely right up to something that might feel a little bit like fat shaming that we just become cowards and run the other way. Yeah. If you're overweight, that's just as much of an indicator of malnutrition as if you're underweight. Yeah. It just is. Your body doesn't repair as quickly. You have more risk factors. And BMI is associated with elevated risk as a metabolic indicator and a musculoskeletal indicator, okay? And it doesn't mean that that just because you're overweight, you need to exercise more. You're probably also in a toxic lifestyle that will only let you be but so active before you start hurting or feeling bad. Yeah. So my whole point is, I honestly think up until a few hundred years ago, most every one of our ancestors were on their feet the majority of the day and probably logged about six miles as an average. That's just getting up and not dying, right? And so when you come from hundreds and thousands of years of people with your exact same DNA and body that were logging six miles a day, sometimes carrying shit, sometimes doing way more and harder stuff than that. And all of a sudden, we start looking back at these old paleo diets and say, we got to start eating like them. (laughs) If you're not going to start moving like them, it ain't going to work. You're just going to be fatter with a little bit lower cholesterol, maybe. I don't know. But my whole point is, why do we reach back there 
and tried to to eat maybe a little bit cleaner and better. And it never even occurred to us that those people can squat and stand on one foot and not look like they're in pain when they do it. You know, it's just so, so there's, there's a, there's a conversation about getting off your ass and being active that makes a lot of people feel a little bit bad. And the statement, I don't know who came up with this, but I hope the hell they weren't a scientist, um, healthy at any size. That's a, Freaking lie mm. that that your form and function tell me exactly what kind of life you've been living. And Lee and I decided to take a lot of functional samples, and we were right. We're one of the things you look at when you're trying to predict musculoskeletal lack of health in the future. BMI is associated with a failing metabolic system and a failing musculoskeletal system. And it doesn't mean you exercise to get your BMI back. Had you never stopped moving in the first place, it'd be fine. Had you only eaten what you needed, you'd be fine. We have a society that allows us to misbehave. But right now, we're in a very politically sensitive culture. So what is the motivation to exercise and eat right if we've been told by a lot of very sensitive people in the government that we can be healthy at any size? You can't. That's a lie. These are the same people that said the food pyramid was right. It was wrong. <laughs> these, these are the same people that said well, you, uh, cigarette smoking may cause. <laughs> you know who figured it out? The insurance companies. When they're selling you life insurance, they know exactly what the right health, they got, know what BM, how important BMI is. Right. I got that's, one I want to throw out. If you wreck your car a lot, Right. Now, I know you got a Tesla and it drives itself, but the days you decided to drive it, right? <laughs> you wrecked it more. When you went to get more car insurance, they'd charge you more than they'd charge Lee if he never got a speeding yeah. ticket and never wrecked his car. All right. So he doesn't have to pay the way you've been abusing your privilege to drive. Yeah. Well, if it comes to health insurance, life in, or life insurance, <laughs> life insurance, health insurance, life insurance they, they know. I right? mean, they, they know. They have the book. They know exactly if your BMI is this and doesn't change. Right. They know your life expectancy. As soon as you they, check the box that you're a smoker, you just expect that number. Because <laughs> they, they have the data. They have the statistics. And without trying to just paint this doom and gloom scenario, I think, Chris, to what you were saying, we all should hope that that this pandemic did shine a light on the fact that we need to exercise. Mm -hmm. And I do think with your voice, you know, let's just say our voice, but even the professionals, we have to figure out a way to continue to communicate that at a, at a higher level. I mean, the government, the politicians, great. I think you're right. I think there's such a, a point now where people are so sensitive to, they're so afraid to offend someone. Yeah. But I do think we have an opportunity here to, to try to push this, push this, I guess, the agenda more on how important exercise is. Yeah. And I, and I do, I would like to think, you know, to try to talk about what the next, what the next two to three to five years is going to look like in this industry. Cause I'd like to think because of all this, more people will start leaning in and maybe exercising. Yeah. And, and you know, and there's more to exercise than just body. You know, there's that mind spirit that there's, there's that whole other, no, you're, that, that feeling you get after a workout. So it's, it's, I think the, it's funny, the people who exercise, it's sort of, you don't have to tell them. They know. I mean, you could see how they went crazy during the start of the pandemic when they couldn't get to their gyms. They were going 
They were going nuts. They wanted to get back in their gyms. They were losing, you know, a lot of people were getting depressed, you know, who couldn't exercise, who didn't have home equipment. Then they were trying to do something. So it's- You hit the nail nail on the head because, you know, you're going to get fit in the future if you exercise. But one of the things I think all of us do, all right, if you're married, you got kids and you got a few people working for you, you don't have to look for stress. It's right there, Mm -hmm. right? And between social media- and the emotional, social, and psychological stress we all get fed to us by every one of our channels, including our relationships, we physically dump that stress and feel better. Some people do it through cardio. Some people want to have some, some intervals. Some people just want to go for you know, a, a, a you know, 20-mile bike ride or whatever. And, and if we're consuming non-physical stress, and not dumping it in a physical way, yeah. it's really hard to get the mind and body back because anxiety is the mind racing and the body sitting still. Yeah. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. And so you got to match that mental cadence with a physical cadence or, cadence, or you're going to get out of sync. Yeah. You're going to be living in your head, not on your feet, you know? It's true. True. We've seen a lot of that. I mean, so my we've whole seen, point we've is, seen a lot of crazy in the last couple of years. Right. And, and most people will tell you both for mental and physical health, you got to express yourself through movement. So the question everybody needs to ask uh, is what makes you move and how can we gamify that? How can we, some people want to play it in a game with competition and a little bit of variety. And some people want to train it. Give me my numbers. Let me hit them. And some people want to pr- practice it. They just want to have a lot of different ways to, to do this thing. And I think we just meet them where they are, but something makes everybody move. And that's where you start the conversation. They, they, they get joy from doing that, you know, and, and that's, that's where you start building programming, business opportunities and stuff like that. But the, don't think you're going to get out of this life uh, moving less than someone else and feeling better than them. No, correct. Not. I mean, I, the Crusaders are going to be, unfortunately, they're going to be us. You know, we're going to yeah. have to be the fitness crusaders because I don't think it's going to come from a government standard. But the problem with us being the crusaders is our reach is only to the people that already know it, that are saying the same thing we are about fitness. Yep. You know, everyone listening to this is saying exactly the same thing. Fitness is, is huge. Um, but the problem is it's, you know, how do we get to the other people? How do we get to the people that we need to? bring in. And, and I don't even, one of the things that wasn't even on that study is the, how many people exercise, you know, it's always, it's always been since, since I've been in the industry, everywhere from 19 to 25% of Americans exercise. I think that's 25, one in four. That's not that good. That's no, it's yeah, not well, how, how, with what we know about exercise. How isn't that up closer to 50%? That's right. I think exercise follows nutrition by about a 10 or 15 year stupidity trend, meaning we get smarter about what we eat a little bit quicker than we get smarter about what we do in exercise. And I guess that's because we, most of us eat three times a day. My point is, I think the average mom knows significantly more than the average mom did 15 years ago about trans fats, uh, dyes, unnecessary high fructose sugars, caffeine in kids' food, uh, empty calories, all that. I think moms, just whether they practice it or not, but they know. Yeah, I honestly think most moms 
think their kids get enough activity and wouldn't know how to gauge that if they did. So, so to get what we're saying to a grassroots, nobody's going to do what we say. Early adopters listen to what we say, and early adopters are the cool people, and the majority listens to what they say. So unfortunately, we got to keep doing what we're doing and making our message loud and clear and logical and scientific in the early adopters, in the markets they work in, in the sports they coach, in the classes they teach, we'll, we'll figure out a way to deliver that message. Lee didn't deliver functional movement systems technology to a bunch of PE programs in the UK. Uh, ex-cricket player did that. Lee gave him the template, and he made a playbook that worked there. So we love to see your message, our message, the message that's been on the Perform Better stage, make it somewhere. We didn't take that ball across the, the goal line. Somebody who heard our message but spoke their language yeah. did. And that's why the message ain't going to, there is, there is one message. You got to eat better and move more. And well, to move more and make it work, you got to move well first. Yeah. So. Well, Chris, going back to something you touched on, I think, I think this is where it may start to turn. And I, and I agree with what Gray's saying, too, about nutrition. But I think now because musculoskeletal health is costing companies and individuals so much money when it comes to insurance, insurance premiums are going to go up. And right now, what's costing the insurance the most money are back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, all these musculoskeletal problems. So again, my humble opinion, now that it's costing these companies so much money, and they're turning the cost over to us. They're now already looking at ways to fight it. Mm. How can we fight these problems? Because it's no longer diabetes that's costing them a lot of money. It's no longer, and that's still, those things are still costing money. Now we could argue diabetes leads to back pain and all these other things, but all these issues are now rising to the top. A 40-year-old with a total knee is costing them a lot of money because <laughs> it ain't going to be this person's last. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you go out with back pain, you go out with back pain at 40 years old and you blame it on your job, well, then that's costing that company a lot of money, costing insurance company a lot of money. Yeah. My point being that now that it's doing that, the microscope is on it. Yeah. And these insurance companies, these employers, they, all these groups are saying, we've got to do something. And I'd like to think our profession can be the something that they turn to. How we do that, how we get, I, I'm not sure, I don't know. I don't yeah. have that answer. But I do feel like over the next few years, that's going to be something that there is an opportunity, yeah, in my we, opinion. And, I, and we know, you know, we've tried to implement corporate fitness and, you know, corporations know that they can reduce their insurance costs by incorpor incorporating fitness into it. You know, the, the question is, is, you know, we need long-term studies of what it actually shows. And the problem is we haven't had, you know, they know there's something there. They know it's, it's, it's going to save them money. That, that debt is, and I mean, when, you know, when I remember we had this talk Eight ten years ago in San Francisco, when you were we were meeting out in San Francisco, and you were going out to talk about corporate SF, uh, FMS with a corporate in a, in a in a corporate environment out there with a huge corporation in California. So we know we know it's there talking. It's just we're only we're just still starting at it though. That's I right. think we there's still a lot of growth in this area, and I think it's going to take a lot of people spreading the word. It's not it's not just. The three of us just, in here, it's the three of us magnifying times everyone that's listening to this, times them spreading the word to everyone that they're talking to. Um, but it's, 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 it's going to change. It, it, it just has to change. Something that we know that we're so sure of, 
you know, that you can bet on. You can bet on fitness is good. Like, and I think, that, can, I think we're at that tipping point, in my opinion. It's, 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 it's a sure bet, you know? I mean, yes, there's outliers and there's those, you know, there's, there's those, you know, those outliers that, you know, exercise every day in their life. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they dropped out of a heart attack that, you know, it's, you know yeah. what, it's, it's, we know that that's the outlier. That's not the true person that exercise. We know that if you're exercising, it's very likely, uh, unlikely that you're going to get diabetes or you're going to have heart problems. We, that's just a, you know, cause in, 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 in talk about fitness and nutrition, I think they go so hand in hand. I think any trainer you talk to knows a fair amount about nutrition, you know, cause that's part of, you know, that's part of, I think the well, whole you know, fitness and nutrition is sort of woven together well, where it's, you, they go hand in hand. When you physically express yourself a, a little bit, push, push the tachometer up every yeah. day, you sleep better. And if you listen to your cravings, they're actually better. When you become sleep deprived and dehydrated, you don't crave the right foods. You crave a sugar rush to feel temporarily better until you get a sugar low. And, and so there, just like you said, a good uh, exercise lifestyle actually causes better rest and recovery behaviors if you listen. Mm-hmm. That means if you start fitness and start eating more healthy fats, not protein, because none of us are bodybuilding right now, yeah. you actually start craving the avocado more than the bag of potato chips. You just didn't know it because you didn't try it for a week. Yeah. That's, and so there, I've always said that, that when you're overwhelmed, my sleep is broken, my activity's broken, my diet's horrible. Which one do I start with? start a little better on each one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do, do three proactive things for each one and watch what happens. And they actually nurture each other. Better stress causes better recovery. Better recovery gives you an opportunity to stress your health self in a healthy way. And it's just bouncing back and forth yeah. in that stress recovery cycle. And the people who, who participate in that aren't operating at debt. Some of us wake up and sleep debt every day and we cure it with caffeine only to get a little bit further in debt by pennies, not thousands every day. And one day you wake up and you got a spare tire and you're like, geez, I got to get this off before June. Well, (laughs) it took you a lot of Junes to put it on. (laughs) It's not going to come off that easy. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been there. You you wake up and look in the mirror. That shit didn't happen last night. No. No. (laughs) What did I eat last night? (laughs) How can I blame Lee for this? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think something happens. Sometimes it does happen overnight. <laughs> That's called inflammation. Yeah. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna come back and do a follow up on this on this podcast when the word when things start to change. And I I I, me, I think it's it has to you know again I think there's going to be a lot of. There's going to be a lot of fitness disciples that are going to be spreading right, the word. Let me, but I think the big thing is going to be when the government, when the government yeah. comes in and, and starts to promote fitness and they start to come in and say, okay, if we ever have to shut down again, fitness may not be the last one well, <laughs> that we're going to, we're going to keep closed forever because we realize how important it is. I don't, and I, and I'm, and I hate to say this as a professional, I don't think we can rely on the, the interest groups that we have. And what I mean by that is the professional organizations, the ACSMs, the NATAs, the APTAs. That's that, in my opinion, is what they're there for. That's why I pay my dues. 
I don't see them making this a big play. I think it's going to have no. to be. Well, they, they don't have, it's, it's tough because they don't have any lobbyists. You know, that's the big thing that Ursa's, Ursa did during COVID was try to get, you know, try to raise money to get lobbyists because when fitness was shut down, there was nobody in Washington saying, why right. fitness? You know, why fitness? Why, why, why are they shut down? Like they're, they're vital. You know, when we all know that the fact that why fitness was kept closed for so long was because there's no tax dollars coming from fitness. And they could say that we kept things closed and not right. understanding why they were closed, but there's no tax dollars coming from it. So it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like we need any money generated back from there. So it's, 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 it was just, it was just crazy. Cause it's, it's like I said, we, when we first started, I go, I go back to March when I said, oh, this is going to be COVID you know, fitness is going to boom during COVID. It's going to be, we're going to realize how valuable fitness and nutrition really are. Um, And unfortunately, I think it's probably (laughs) up until now, it was probably the last thing, you know, from a government standpoint, from a, that is the last thing that we've. And unfortunately, what was, what was promoted, and I'm not going to say during the pandemic, right or wrong, but what was promoted was basically what's being, being promoted to fix all your problems before the pandemic. And that's, Medicine, yeah, drugs, yeah. vaccines, yeah. You know, take all this in from take all this, and it'll solve your problems. There is no magic bullet, yeah. Well, the in the in the past, we only had a few transportation options. You call a cab, call a limo, or get in your own car and drive yourself somewhere. As the populations of the future are consuming their opportunities and exercise options, they can get a limo driver. They can get a one-on-one, face-to-face consult. Um, but, you know, when transportation, I mean, it's not, it's not but a few years away where a self-driving car is going to pick you up instead of an Uber. Mm. There are going to be a lot of different ways for people to get their fitness information. Lee and I have even looked at, you could, I, I hate to say this, Chris, but if we got enough information from you, I think a bot could give you your first two months of activity and adjustability spot on uh, because so many of the things that you need to do to get ready to get healthy and fit are standard operating procedure. Yeah. And unfortunately, what I, I have been trying to say my whole life is a, a lot of professionals, whether you're a personal trainer that acts a little more like a therapist, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, or whether you're a personal trainer that acts a little bit more like a coach. Sometimes we need counsel. Sometimes we need a kick in the ass. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need motivation. Sometimes we need scientific data. So I see personal training get almost into therapy and and spend a lot of time in the corrective world or get almost into coaching and just blow a whistle and run a boot camp. And and people like to consume their fitness in a coaching way or in in a more of a therapeutic way. I get all this, but I hate to say it, but a lot of the things that people need to do are right there. If you need somebody to tell them to you face-to-face on Zoom, or if you need a bot to tell you, uh, here's how you need to do it, <laughs> and you can consume it. So a self-driving car can get you from point A to point B. And I think an app uh, that's looking at your fitness and nutrition and sleep can get you from point A to point B. It's, is it sustainable? Did it change you? Did it make you independent? And do you think you can afford uh, a little bit cleaner path? Because you might want to get one-on-one. You might want to get a small group. You might want to 
be part of a culture, but I think people need to get ready. The, the information should be generally the same, whether you're getting it from a one-on-one relationship or whether you're getting it from an app. It should be the same because we're getting back to some of the basics of don't eat more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, it. Kind of segueing to what Grace saying, Chris, what, what are you going to, what do you see happening in the next, you know, we're coming out of this pandemic trainers, are, uh, you know, facilities are coming back online. They're opening up pretty much everything right now should be primarily open back up. Two things that I've been hearing is trainers are starting are hard to find. Some yeah. of these places are trying to yeah. find trainers. So what do you see happening over the next year, two, three years out? Yeah. Trainers, trainers are definitely hard to find right now. It's, you know, there's just, I think with, with so many that left the industry, you know, that, um, that moved on to something else, moved into a different, a, a different world. Um, and that's, and that's always very common. You remember trainers, you know, the expectancy of a trainer like is still has always been six like months or something. It's, I think it's been, well, it was six months years ago. And then it, it, I always kept saying it was like the likes of, of like the Tom Plummer, you know, the Alan Cosgrove, the guys that brought the business sense to it. Because I think the life expectancy of a trainer grew when they could make money at it. That was usually the first reason for trainers to leave because, you know, it was a fun job after college. You get to work for Nobody's going to be a bartender for life. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) No one's going to be a bartender or a bouncer for life (laughs) at some point. So, because you can't make any money at it. I mean, if you could make, you know, if you could make a lot of money at bartending or if you could, you know, raise a family on bartending money, well, you can, but you would stick to it. You'd rather own the bar. You'd rather own the bar. (laughs) And and with the trainer, I think that's been the key is, you know, a lot of trainers, usually the the rise of a trainer goes into somewhere opening their own business Mm -hmm. down the road. That's Mm -hmm. been usually the follow through, you know, or they, they run a business, you know, they're managing their general manager of, of trainers. That's usually the growth, but you're right. It, it was six months ago, you know, 18 years ago, and then it rose up to, you know, four or five years. And I always said that that growth was the business end that some of these business presenters brought into it, showing people how to make money, that it is a career. It's not just, it's not just a side job you have that's an in, bet- an in between college in your career. You know, this, it, it could be a career. Um, and, and to us, it is a career and it is a career for the people that we know in the industry. They've, you know, I, we all know people, you know, that I, people come to our summits that the first one was 20 years ago, you know, and know people, half the people that I still see at the summits this year were there 20 years ago. So it's a career, you know, it's, it wasn't just a side. So, um, where we're moving, I think we're going to, we're going to be moving at least momentarily with a hybrid approach. I think there's still going to be some of the online stuff. Um, there's still going to be a lot of the coming apps that are coming out, the whole, the ways of getting to people who are just technically not going to a gym yet or not feeling comfortable going to a gym yet, but still need attention, still like to work out, need something. Um, but I think it's a cycle. I think it'll, you know, I think it's a cycle that down the road, I just don't know how long that cycle is that eventually there's going to be more and more people going back to a gym and and like I said, I think, I think we're ready for a boom in fitness. And I think the boom is going to be cross home in, you know, in a gym is because it's, I think I, I, and again, I know we, we've talked on it and hounded on it a bunch of times today, but I think once we, you know, once the general population realizes how important fitness is, you know, I, I think with not only, you know, your life, the life you lead, being able to walk, move, just, just things we all want to do. We all want to live longer. 
you know, and the problem is, is we don't realize it until you get to that age where you're like, oh, geez, I want to live longer. Now I'm starting to feel aches and pains. Now yeah, I got to stop working out. Longer, you know, because because <laughs> we got a lot of people living into their 80s, but they haven't been able to be independent since Correct. their 70s. Correct. And so, no. yeah, it's, the day I lose my independence, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay leaving. I mean, I, yeah. I and I, I hate to call that, but I mean, I've seen people that have had a largely independent life and then seen a huge amount of that taken away from them. And, and, you know, you spend more in the last three years of your life on your health than you do in all the life you had prior yeah. to that. Now, uh, I don't feel good about that. And, and I think, I think hopefully a lot of people will look at this physical currency that's going to run out yeah. and invest in it a little bit better than they have been. Cause that last three years of your life, if you're spending a lot of money, I'm telling you, you're not enjoying a bit of it. Oh, I agree. You're not I, enjoying a bit of it. I think the day the day we stop moving, a stop with the desire to move, is the day we start dying. Well, I think I think part of the message that we've got to get out there when you say general population, Chris, I think that's exactly the where we've got to start talking or trying to get to pulling more of those people in. And most of those people, one, they have no idea when you say exercise to them, they they think they're going to be, you know. They don't even know what that means. And it could mean walking. Could be walking. It, yeah. could, be, it could be almost anything. Walking is exercise. Yeah, right. walking is exercise. So I think we, yeah. well, you know, both of our grandfathers, yeah. they didn't exercise, but we didn't have to talk to them about being active. Yeah. They, they got their steps in, but it was a, a worth, a purpose. Both had a military background. I mean, they knew they wanted to be standing upright and proud as, as, as they aged. So there was a generation you didn't have to talk about exercise to because they had plenty to keep them active, even if it wasn't formally called exercise. And so, like I said, I would like, I would like to participate in the exercises I want, but more importantly, I want to go on the adventures I want to go on. I want to do the activities I want to do. So I think as, as long as people have that secondary benefit of not just exercising for exercise sake. So you can tell your neighbor that you did your exercise today, but the fact that there is, I, it's not that I want to run a 5k, but I do want to go on a bunch of long paddle trips, or I want to go on a couple of hunts that I'm going to have to hike my butt off with a big pack on. So I want to be able to do that. So you try to maintain this standard, but I find that the minute people are exercising because it's broccoli and it's just good for you or that you got to find a reason to do it. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't have to find a reason to eat. You got to well, find a reason we, to eat right. Yeah. We have, we have <laughs> to break through. Well, one thing we got to do is we have to remove all these barriers yeah. to exercise. And when I say that, it is partly educating these, these individuals on all these benefits. It's not just, it's long-term health. Yeah. It's not just, okay, yeah, you want to lose 10, 15 pounds now, but you don't want to be bedridden when you're 65. Yeah. And I think that's the, we got to get that messaging. That's one. And two, when I say remove barriers, people have no clue what to do. So we got to educate them on, on what to do and give them more advice. And I think that's where, whether it's technology, apps, and all this other yeah. stuff, giving them information, because a lot of people are talking about, they're not going to dedicate dollars to this. They're not going to go to the gym and spend money to be a gym. They're not yeah. going to go and, you know, hopefully their employers maybe can give them some, some stuff. So I think there's, Definitely some things we, we need to be thinking about doing as far as a profession to reach these people and then try to remove the barriers or excuses they're going to give you. Well, I don't have time. You, I don't have money. You, I don't have all this. I'll give Te you one technology more. is going to be the big, 
it, it's it's going to be the big to get to the masses. Technology is the way is the way to do it. It's going to be the great starter. I'll give you one more. As many infomercials as we've seen before and after of people dropping weight, when when you check the box that's obese, you got a better chance of making money in Vegas than you do not being more obese next time we check. Mm-hmm. Meaning it's not just a bad time. You're trending in a direction that far fewer people return from. Once you hit the mark of morbid obesity, you're not coming back. It's tough coming back. It's just, yeah. you're, you're going to have a health crisis. And yeah. once you have that health crisis, you won't have the strength or health to do what it takes to drop that weight off of you. So my whole point is being overweight is not a temporary thing, even though a lot of people look down and said, I just had my third kid or I'm working double shifts right now. You can make all the excuses you want. My whole point is it's getting worse and you're in a huge, small minority if it does get better. And so there's a lot of people who are just yo-yoing right now um, and don't, don't think, but the, the trend has been for 30 years, if you're putting on more weight than you need to carry, the next time you check, it's going to be worse, not better. Mm. And, and people need to hear that. And the problem is the longer you wait, the harder it is. And the damage has already been done. When you carry a lot of weight for five years, that's like smoking a lot of cigarettes for five years. That's like drinking a lot of bourbon for five years. And that's like riding a lot of chair for five years. Some of those scars can't come back off of you. It doesn't mean you can't heal or return. It just means you're, you're making it much harder to come back. Yeah. So I do think, I do think, try to wrap this up a little bit. It's not, it's not all doom and gloom either. I mean, no, you know, we're, no. we're in a situation that there's a lot of opportunity, even with, you know, the professionals out there trying to reach a broader audience. We've got to, we got to keep trying to reach a broader audience with this messaging, but technology and all the other things, there, there's still a lot of opportunity. And, I, and I, like I said, Chris, you and I both have said it, Grace said it. We think coming out of this pandemic, there's going to be more emphasis some way, somehow on, on the benefits of exercising. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need, we just need a little help in that. We need a little national help. You know, I, th- I like I said, we're get, everyone who's listening to this, they're, they're all the disciples. I mean, there's no one that preaches fitness more than, than the people who are following FMS and SFMA. The, I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the crew, but there's only so big that, our re- that reach is that we just need to, you know, we just need something that's going to help it, give it a push. And I think once it is, and it doesn't even have to be a big push. You know, it just has to, it, it just has to be the push that, you know, that of the direction that, Hey, exercise is good for you. Well, that's exercise one of the, will help you. That's exercise. one of the messages you helped us with, because I remember going to my first kettlebell conference and finding out how many people showed up broke. And, and we've heard that come from our audiences, your audiences is I can't do such and such with my client because they're in pain. Well, we all know that's an underlying health problem. We've always said you might want to talk about getting that taken care of. But the flip side of what we've tried to do at FMS is, listen, we watch the numbers. We know how many people show up broken, complex, with issues and problems. And the more you know about how they move, the easier you can find their exercise slot. We've never said they can't do anything. Mm. We're like, I wouldn't do that <laughs> today. Right. But there are so many fitness options 
for these poorly educated, broken people without going full-on healthcare, mm. unless you run out of options, at which point you got to have a healthcare leg. But what we've always said is, you know, all we said is that guy probably shouldn't go to boot camp or do kettlebell swings today. But I didn't say that guy shouldn't be fit with you today, shouldn't do something with you today. So we've tried to farm both sides of that fence and say, listen, if they're so broken, their risk factors are up, they're going to break no matter who their trainer is. So you've got to help them get over that fence. But if there is a thin slot where they can exercise without causing uh, harm or creating greater burden on themselves, we can find it. I just need to know which movement patterns cause pain, which ones are asymmetrical, which ones are dysfunctional, and I got a baseline. Yeah. And once we once we do that, we can keep checking that. And if your body is sending us better movement signals, we've always said that's like weight coming off. That's something about your diet, your body's liking right yeah. now. So so it's that that opportunity has been there. So the I don't want people to see it as is bleak whatsoever. People are gonna in a in a few waves start showing back up at the gym, the virtual gym, or some type of fitness space. They're gonna they're gonna start yeah. showing up. And the more proactive you can be about the problems we all know the majority of those people are gonna have, the more you can create a fitness environment, it'll look and feel like a fitness environment, but we all know it's more of a wellness environment because they're not well enough to get fit yet but they're well enough to work out so that maybe that's an opportunity in a month or two. Yeah. Well, I think the one, the one kind of takeaway hearing, hearing you guys talk is it is about culture. It is about creating the right culture, meeting the people where they are and pulling them sometimes, not all the time, but pulling them the right direction. But a lot of the people out there, as you said, Gray and Chris, you said the same thing. We all feel like people, more people are going to start searching for exercise, yeah. searching for answers yeah. and, and trying to become more healthy. Yeah. I, I think we all believe that. And the professionals out there listening, create that culture. You know, well, don't alienate them, yeah. pull them in, create a better culture. And the culture is what's going to help sustain yourself. Well, culture is going to be the thing that's going to keep them there. You know, they're not going to be two months, three months and be done. So the fountain of youth starts culture to beat is, a sweat. Yeah, culture, <laughs> culture is going to be the thing that's going to get, uh, is going to get them to stay there. You know, it's, it's obviously, it's not going to get them to go there. And that's why we need outside help to give them the push to get there. But once they're there, if, if your gym doesn't have a culture, it's going to be a hard time keeping them there. They're yeah. going to find it. They're going to find the next gym that has a culture that has relationships with everyone. Yep. Well, Chris, this is, uh, it's been a great conversation, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate you coming down. I don't know if you got Drove or flew all the way down to Chatham, Virginia, just for this podcast. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming down. Great having you in, in the studio today. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, would you mind helping me sink Lee's pontoon boat this afternoon? This, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do that. That would be very good. <laughs> he sunk a jet ski last year, so I think a pontoon boat is a good I job. I did not the- sink a jet ski. <laughs> it it did, sunk on your watch. It did sink. It, it wasn't me. It your watch. If it was on your watch, <laughs> it sunk on you. There's a captain talking right there. There you go. All right. Thanks I a lot. I hope you went down with the ship. I wasn't there. No. <laughs> I just had to deal with the aftermath. Oh, uh, okay. He wrote right. the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. That will do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. 
Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute and subscribe and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your own movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, be sure to first move well, then move often.